Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing for us to be together. We are continuing uh, this morning in a, a new message series where we're focusing on lessons that we can learn from the life of Joseph. And last week, we, we started by focusing on these two dreams that Joseph received when he was 17 years old. Very similar dreams. In the first, there are these dif- different bushels of, of wheat, and they all bow down to him. In the second dream, the sun, moon, and stars all bow down to him. And as he tells about these dreams to his family, we don't have all the details. We just get the way they respond to his telling of these dreams. And they're not pleased. They're not happy. However he shares the idea that one day they will all bow down to him, his brothers especially say, you know, we know what you would do if you had that kind of power, and we know that you would lord it over us, that you would force us to do whatever it is you want to do, and we're not, we're not going to just let that happen. Even his father, Jacob, says, really, do you expect even me and your mother for us to, to bow down to you? Is that the kind of future you think God has in store for you? And the brothers, in their frustration, hatch a plan to get rid of Joseph and his dreams. At first, they're going to kill him. And then they talk it over, and they think it through, and then it's like, well, you know what? That, that's crossing a line that we can't bring ourselves to cross. But you know what? We could sell him and make a little bit of money, and he'd be gone. So it's a win-win. And that's what they do. They, they throw him into a well. They wait for some traders to come along, uh, some, some merchants to come along. And they sell him. And then they go home and they tell Jacob, his father, that they, they don't know exactly know what happened, but it looks like he was attacked by a wild animal. And Jacob is heartbroken. And he says, I'm going to live the rest of my life grieving my son. I don't know how to keep going now that I've lost him. And that's, that's where we left the story last week. And we talked about the reality that, that those dreams that Joseph has when he's 17, they're absolutely going to come true, but they're not going to come true the way he expects and the way his brothers are, are fearing. He is going to have a moment where he holds all the power, where he's going to get to decide what happens to them next, but instead of taking advantage of that moment, he's going to find a way to save them. But in order for that to take place, Joseph is going to have to be changed. He's going to have to be different. He's going to have to be transformed from who he is at 17 and who he's going to be all those years later when those dreams finally come true. So we talked about, as as people who are thinking about how do we relate? How do we find ourselves at times dreaming about a version of the future? We look at the promises of God in Scripture, and we believe as God's chosen people that there is this future that's coming where we will have a place of honor and power and authority. And the question isn't whether or not that's going to come true. The question is, how are those dreams going to come true? Who are we going to be in those moments when we finally find ourselves having perhaps the ability to force our way on other people. What would we do with that kind of opportunity? Would we seek to have more power? Would we seek to force 
our will? Or would we find a way to rescue people, to save them, to show them grace? And so we reflected last week on this idea that, look, it's clear from Scripture that God has chosen you for great things. But don't waste that promise trying to prove that you're better than anyone else. Use that greatness to benefit everyone else. As we think about a future where God may give us more standing, where God may give us the ability to control, to shape the future of the world in ways that are greater than it feels like we have that power right now. If we're going to dream about that day, we need to also be dreaming about how we can use those resources to help bless other people. Not to desperately keep telling others who, who don't share our view of the future, hey, you don't have to agree with us now, but a day is coming when we're going to make you agree. A day is coming when we're going to be calling the shots, and on that day, you ought to be afraid of us. right? We never say those things out loud, but do we handle ourselves that way? Do we carry ourselves that way in the world where we're just biding our time and waiting to get even? Or do we find a way to ask for God to change us into people who when we're given that kind of power, we recreate the world with it in the image of God. Well, we're, we're continuing this morning, and it, it kind of jumps, the story, where the last thing we know is that Joseph's been sold into slavery, he's brought to Egypt, and then things go quiet a little bit, and then things start to pick up again. And we're going to open up together Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 1. So when Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar, Pharaoh's chief officer, the commander of the royal guard, and an Egyptian, purchased him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man and served in his Egyptian master's household. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful. Potiphar thought highly of Joseph, and Joseph became his assistant. He appointed Joseph head of his household and put everything he had under Joseph's supervision. From the time he appointed Joseph head of his household and of everything he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household because of Joseph. The Lord blessed everything he had, both in the household and in the field. So he handed over everything he had to Joseph and didn't pay attention to anything except the food he ate himself. In other words, he was picky. All right? he, he gave everything over to Joseph except for the, the nightly menu. He wanted some say into what he was going to have to eat. Now, he trusts him so much that he leaves Joseph alone often to run everything. And over time, Potiphar's wife develops an attraction to Joseph. And she tries every way she can to seduce Joseph. And he keeps resisting her. And he keeps telling her, what, you, what you're asking me to do is sinful. And I'm the Lord's servant. I'm not, I'm not doing that. She gets so frustrated with him She decides one day that she's going to take matters into her own hands, and so she grabs his garment while they're talking, and he's trying to get away from her. And as he he runs away, she holds on to his, his outer garment. It's his. Everybody knows it's his. And then she uses the garment to kind of 
be the evidence of a false story that she creates where she says Joseph was the one trying to take advantage of her. And so that's where it picks up now in verse 19. When Joseph's master heard the thing that his wife told him, this is what your servant did to me, Potiphar, right, was incensed. Joseph's master took him and threw him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were held. While he was in jail, the Lord was with Joseph and loved him with loyalty. He caused the jail's commander to think highly of Joseph. The jail's commander put all of the prisoners in the jail under Joseph's supervision, and he was the one who determined everything that happened there. The jail's commander paid no attention to anything. There's that phrase again, right? Potiphar paid no attention to anything because he trusted Joseph. Jail's commander trusts him that same way. Paid no attention to anything under Joseph's supervision because the Lord was with him and made everything he did successful. Now there's a lot there. There's a lot happening. There's a lot that, that's difficult for us to, to get our heads wrapped around in terms of what it had to be like for Joseph to be sold into slavery and then he's, he's finding himself in this position with a powerful man in Egypt and he's having success there and then this, this woman betrays him and lies about him. He gets thrown into jail and even when he's in jail then, God works through the situation to help him rise to the, to the top and be someone who's trusted. And we have this phrase that says, while he was in jail, the Lord was with him and loved him with loyalty. And what I want you to think about is how difficult God's loyalty to Joseph would have been for him to believe in while he was in that place. It's just such a strange verse. While he was in jail, the Lord was with him and loved him with loyalty. I think Joseph would say, could, could you love me in a way that got me out of jail? <laughs> so what, what is this loving someone with loyalty? What's it about? Well, it's a very special word in the Old Testament. And we're all going to look at Hebrew for just a second this morning. It's the word chesed. Now, I'm not going to say it twice because I'm going to spit on, on everyone in the front row if I keep doing it. I'm not going to say it correctly twice. Hesed, right? It's this, it's this love of God. And there are times in the Old Testament where people manage to love one another with this same kind of love. But more often than not, when, when the Bible says that someone showed hesed, it's God. It is what we tend to call unconditional love. It's a love no matter what. It's a love that instills worth in the person being loved more than it comes across someone and just finds worth. Right? It's, it's a love that changes you into someone lovely. It's not a love that comes across you and thinks you're lovely and attracted to that and says, okay, I find it easy to love you. No, this is... This is love that you choose to show no matter what. It's translated in different ways throughout uh, different kinds of Bibles, right? Sometimes it's God's loving kindness. Uh, sometimes it's God's steadfast love. Whatever phrase you use, it's never powerful enough. It's never beautiful enough to really describe what it's like to be caught up in God's has said. That's the word 
In Genesis 39, 21, when it says, Joseph was in jail, but God was with him and loved him. Loved him with loyalty. God loves Joseph with this steadfast loyalty. And, and here's the thing. It doesn't look like everything going smoothly for Joseph. It looks like success mixed with suffering. And who of us would choose that? I mean, all of us would choose God's steadfast loyalty looking like success. It's easy for us to think, you know, it's, it's great that Joseph, you know, he's, he's a slave and yet he's so good at what he's doing that he becomes the, the highest slave. And then, yeah, it's great that, you know, even though he's in jail, that he's trusted and he becomes the highest prisoner. But it's pretty tough when you have to use the word slave and prisoner. I think if we're honest, no matter what anybody else has told us, there's a part of us that wants God's steadfast love, God's unconditional love to always improve our condition. We, we want God to, to say, I love you, and because I love you, you're never going to have to suffer again. You're never going to be sad again. You're never going to have to go through anything difficult again. But we are never promised that version of life and being loved by God anywhere in Scripture. And, and here's the other thing that I think you and I have to, to wrestle with is as we try to talk about God and God's power and God's presence in the world, our words always fall short. They're always incomplete. And so whatever we say about God, there's more about God that we're not able to say which means that everything is partial knowledge and partial truth. And partial knowledge, partial truth, at some point will mislead us. It can take us so far, but at some point we're going to realize, okay, it's not quite the truth and nothing but the truth. It's the truth the best way we can express it. And so when you hear Christian people talking about God's power and the way God uses God's power in the life of the world, you know, when someone goes through something that's difficult, often someone will say to them to try to comfort them, God is in control. But it doesn't seem like in Genesis 39 that God, who could absolutely be in control, is controlling actively everything that's happening to Joseph. Every bad thing that happens to Joseph comes at someone else's hands. I don't know how much of it's his fault that his brothers couldn't stand him. You know, but they're the ones who decide to throw him in a pit and sell him, sell him into slavery. And it's Potiphar's wife that ends up deciding she can't deal with the situation of this slave of hers turning her advances down. It's ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill people who Joseph has to, to deal with in his life who are making selfish choices that end up hurting him and putting him in a place he never wanted to go. It does not say that God is the one who put Joseph in slavery. It does not say God is the one who put Joseph in prison. And so when we say things like God is in control, 
I think what we're really trying to say is God has more power than you can possibly imagine. And even when you're in a bad situation, God can do something to change it. But we've got to be careful to act like when we're talking to one another that every single thing that's happened in your life is directly caused by God. Now, again, if that's the way God wanted things to go, that's exactly how they could go. It's just that when we read stories in the Bible, there's this space, there's limits that God has placed on himself to let us make choices. And sometimes those choices bless other people, and other times those those choices destroy other people's lives. And we should never say anything, even when we're trying to comfort somebody, that might lead someone to think that God is the one doing that to them. That God is the one inflicting that pain on them. Now listen, I realize that even if we clarify this, we've still got to wrestle with, but why didn't God stop it? And I'm sure that's the argument that Joseph wrestles with in his prayers. We don't have his prayers recorded in these chapters, but you know that he has to be struggling with if God could have stopped him from being sold into slavery, why didn't he? And if God could stop him from being thrown unjustly into prison, why didn't he? But it's because God's steadfast loyalty is God's. God gets to choose what shape that love takes. And while we would say to God, if you love me, you'd never let anything hard, difficult, challenging happen to me ever again, I think part of what God's trying to tell us is, I have a plan for your life. I want you to be more and more like me. I want you to be more and more like my son. And there's some things that are gonna happen to you that are difficult that I'm gonna let happen to you so that you can be more like my son. We've gotta wrestle with the disappointment and the frustration that could cause. We've gotta admit when we're all stuck in those places at different times and sometimes we're all stuck in those places together. But the reality is when you and I decide that God's love for us can only take one shape and it's a perfect, smooth, flawless life from here on out, we are setting ourselves up to have a a crisis of faith where we accuse God of not keeping promises he never made. We don't get to choose what God's steadfast loyalty looks like in our life. But it's always there. God is always with us. We have to search to see the evidence. Do you notice how the storyteller here in, in Genesis 39 keeps pointing out that it's, it's visible, the shape of God's has said, right? The, the shape of God's steadfast loyalty to Joseph. It looks like success in situations that are filled with suffering, If God weren't in the story, it would just be suffering. But God is working through situations and and lifting Joseph up. And this story is not over yet. It's far from over. And all of these things are going to matter. But in order for those dreams that Joseph had about all these bushels of wheat bowing down to him and the sun, moon, and stars bowing down to him, if he's going to be a faithful, Christ-like steward of those dreams one day in the future, He's going to have to go through some chapters in his life that he would have never chosen for himself. And those chapters are going to be difficult 
and hard, but they're going to grow him and they're going to change him. They're going to break his heart in ways that make his heart more tender to other people who have broken hearts. If God's love for us is intended to help us become more and more like his son, then there's going to be some weeks in our life that feel like the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus couldn't be who he was and who he is without being willing to suffer so he could save us. I would love it if God's steadfast loyalty to me meant that I had only good experiences from here on out. But the truth is, just like Joseph's life where it's success mixed with sorrow and suffering, brothers and sisters, you and I are going to have good mixed with bad. We're going to have days of light and moments where we wrestle with the darkness We're going to find times where our life is going well in ways where we just start taking it for granted. And we think, you know what, it's nice and all that I'm doing well at work, but I feel trapped over here. I mean, isn't that what Joseph could have said in his prayers? Look, I'm I'm glad that you make me successful in everything I do in my job. Could you get me out of this prison? Could you get me into a place where it's not just my work life that's going well, but it's all of my life that's going the way I want it to go? You know, I think often when when the Apostle Paul says, if if God is for us, who could be against us? And then he lists all these things in life that nobody would ever want to go through. Should famine or hardship or nakedness or sword? No, none of these things can separate us from God's love. And you think, well, I thought if God loved me, I wouldn't have to go through famine and hardship and nakedness and swords and all that stuff. No, no. God's love carries us through. God's love gives us a strength when there's no other place for us to find strength. I was 29 years old when I found out that I had testicular cancer. Lauren was pregnant with Riley. There were all kinds of questions, all kinds of doubts, nights when I couldn't manage to go to sleep. I had anger. And I didn't believe that God had caused me to have cancer, but I sure was angry that he didn't protect me from it. And I really struggled to see how in the world this could be a part of my life as somebody who dedicated myself to trying to follow Jesus. Why would this happen to me? And then it started. The cards and the calls, and the visits, and the prayers, and my church finding a way to be my family because my family was half a continent away. People who dropped everything to be with Lauren in the waiting room when I was having this emergency surgery that we didn't expect. And then when I had this complication where I I had to have a special diet, these little old ladies figuring out how to Google the food that I could eat. It was awful, but it was the best thing I've ever had. (laughs) 
I don't think God caused my cancer, but I'm convinced God caused all of that goodness to happen in the midst of it. And I went from being angry and scared. And, I, and I, I'll be honest, right? You go in cycles when you're in a season like that. So I'd have good days and then I'd have a horrible one. Or I'd, I'd get good test results and then I'd have to wait for another one. And I, I went back. There were times when I would say to God, I don't really want to talk to you right now, but I still need you to be on my side. So, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know when you've gone through something where you feel like it's not so much that you think God caused it, but God lets you have to go through it and your heart is filled with questions and you wrestle with doubts and and frustration and you try to understand what is your plan for my life. You don't have to wonder what God's plan is for your life. God wants you to be more and more like his son. That's his plan for your life. It involves suffering. And I'm sorry, but I love you too much not to tell you the truth. As far as I understand it, it involves suffering. But may we never get to the point where we take the suffering in our lives and decide that God is letting us down, that God has abandoned us, that God isn't already working to take those beautiful pieces of your life that he didn't break, but he's still going to be able to create a beautiful mosaic afterwards anyway. But God doesn't cause all the pain that happens in your life, but he doesn't waste any of the pain that happens to you either. But in order for that to really take place, you and I have to be willing partners to say, look, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm trapped, right? I feel spiritually like I'm enslaved, or I feel like in my life I'm stuck, I'm in, I'm in prison. Find me here. Reach me here. Help me. Shape me. Show me the good in my life that I'm not seeing because I'm so focused on the things that are going wrong. Send me someone to be a living example, reminder of your steadfast loyalty to me. Even if that person can't rescue me immediately, send someone to me to help me know that you're with me in the midst of this storm. And brothers and sisters, when church is at its best, that's who we are to one another. It's who we are for one another. That Even if I can't get you out of your slavery or your imprisonment, I can join you there. And I can remind you that there's not just bad, there's good. And there's not just difficult, there's there's the weight of that difficulty being lifted. And and you're carried somehow through the things you never choose to go through. God walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And on the other side, you're more like him. We're more like him. Him. And even though I wish there was a way to get there that was perfect and smooth and exactly what I want, it's worth it. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I hope that you can look at your life in this coming week and and face the truth of the good and the not-so-good the things that you're thankful for already and the things that you just don't know how to accept, the things that you're wrestling with, and ask God to remind you. Ask God to show you that he is with you and he loves you with loyalty and he will never leave.
Let's stand together and sing.